0: Production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland. I'm Pat Pastore, Regional President of PNC Bank, and I'm honored to introduce today's forum, a conversation on support services for students and families as part of the Say Yes Cleveland initiative. One year ago, Cleveland was selected as the fourth community chapter of Say Yes to Education, a national nonprofit organization that works to help public school students graduate from high school, prepare for post-secondary education, and provides tuition scholarships to make that education affordable. Since its launch, Say Yes to Cleveland has been hard at work. Members of the Cleveland Metropolitan School District's 2019 graduating class are attending college right now with the Say Yes Cleveland scholarships. In addition to In addition to aiding in the financial accessibility of college for participating students, Say Yes works to remove as many barriers as possible so that each student has the opportunity to achieve academic and professional success. And that's what we're here to talk about today. While support services for CMSD students are not necessarily new, as some some were launched in 2014 as part of the Cleveland plan, Say Yes expands on these offerings to include a family support specialist working in each school, after school and summer learning opportunities, mental health, and pro bono legal services. 16 schools launched these services this year, with the rest to be added over the next four years. Today, we will be discussing the expectations and successes of these support services with a panel of experts. In what ways do these services support the families in addition to their students? How is success being granted? And what are the anticipated impacts and how are they being seen in just the first year of implementation? Guiding today's conversation is City Club CEO Dan Mothrop. Mr. Mothrop was appointed CEO of the City Club in 2013 after many years as a member, volunteer, and frequent moderator. A Cleveland transplant, he is also an award-winning journalist, a former high school teacher, a graduate of US, and a graduate of UC Berkeley's Graduate School of Journalism. Mr. Malthrop, I turn the forum over to you to introduce our esteemed
0: panelists. All right, thank you very much, Pat. Um, And thank you all so much for joining us. Um, Where we are right now, this is, uh, as Pat mentioned, a year uh, to the day, I believe, since, um, since we, many of us and, uh, and many others in the community gathered at John Marshall High School to celebrate and uh, to announce and celebrate and cheer and stomp and, um, and, and hoot and holler about uh, the, the fact that Say Yes was coming to Cleveland and that all of you and many others have made this possible. And there are three pillars of Say Yes. There's, um, there's mentorship, there's the scholarships, and there's these support services. And what we're talking about today are the support services. So uh, who we have here, Vic Young uh, down at the end. Victor Young is the, um, is, he's the director of student support services for Say Yes to Cleveland, or Say Yes Cleveland, pardon me. Um, and uh, we're gonna hear a lot more about exactly what that entails and, um, and how he's barely getting started. Uh, next to him is Colleen Cotter. She, uh, she's the chief executive at Legal Aid of Greater Cleveland and um, their role in all of this will become clear as we as our conversation continues, because you might be scratching your head a little bit at first, but but you won't after long. Um, and uh, finally, next to me is Dale Anglin. She's, a, she's the program director for youth and social services at the Cleveland Foundation and co-chair of the Out of School Time Task Force, which uh, is a whole part of these Student support services and family support services that we're talking about. So please join me in welcoming them. <laughs> All right, Mr. Young, uh, start us off. Tell us exactly, like, what is happening now, and that is, and how is it different than what was happening a year ago? <clears throat>
2: what a loaded question. So, yes. So the answer is a lot, and and I think the uh, thing to realize is that while Say Yes started was launched, I guess, a year ago today in Cleveland, the support services were just launched four months ago. And we are literally two weeks into rolling out uh, after-school programs. So this truly is really sort of the early stages, but there is an awful lot going on. And before I I sort of talk more about that, I actually wanted to acknowledge that the family support specialists, and they didn't know I was going to do this, are at these two tables. And I'd like you to stand up so people can (laughs) see. That you are real.
0: So there's there's 16 of them. I couldn't help. I just did quick math. Well, that that yes, (laughs) quick counting.
2: (laughs) Very good. Well, yeah, one for each school at this (laughs) point in time. Yes, there are there are 16 because the the long-term plan is to actually roll this out, roll out support services in the schools. Uh, actually, in all of the Cleveland schools and um, uh, approved uh, partner charters, over the next four years. So we, we're currently in 16, and next year we'll be look more like there'll be 42. Uh, subsequent year, about 30 until we get to uh, the entire district. But I think to, to to really answer that question, it's important to to put it in the context of what we're actually trying to do. So the uh, When we talk about Say Yes Cleveland Family Support Services, um, what we're really talking about is the embedding of a capacity in each school or this embedding school by school of a capacity to respond to family and student needs um, to those kinds of things that seem to be impediments to students having successful journeys K-12 through school. Because what we're ultimately trying to do is nurture a community so that at the end of that rainbow or journey, they can connect or take advantage of the scholarships, and they can connect to the rest of their lives in a way that gives us a different kind of Cleveland. So we're embedding this capacity in these buildings or in these schools, one by one.
0: Victor Young, what are the the needs that you're finding? Oh, well. <laughs> or that your colleagues are finding.
2: Yes. Well, they are, they are many. Um, I would like to say that uh, it, as part of the, and I will answer that question, but as part of the sort of say yes approach to this, mm-hmm. um, what we go in with is a, a basket of sort of predefined sort of support objectives, at least. So legal services are supports that we are connecting uh, families to, families and, and students to uh, in the community, Uh, health services, particularly mental health services. Um, We are in the process right now of connecting to after school and out of school programming. Um, But the needs, and the needs go beyond that, uh, frankly, as well. And I think what the family support specialists have been learning are that uh, there there are, some of the impediments to school are as simple as, you know, students not having uh, coats, or uniforms, or proper clothing, or even, or even some hygiene pro- products and so forth and so on. So it's, it's very important to understand that while we're building this capacity, it's really about responding to need on the ground, creating those relationships on the ground that allow families to feel comfortable to come in and share this level of need, and then making the connections primarily to resources that already exist in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, um, you know, the demand side will grow and we will have to attract more resources to that.
0: That seems like an important point to underline, that these are resources and and programs that have already existed in the community, but the role of these family support specialists is connecting, uh, to connect families and students directly to those services and get everybody kind of moving in the same direction. Colleen Cotter, how has it changed the work of legal aid?
3: Um, So, as, as Victor said, we really rolled this out on October 1st of 2019, so very early in the process. And what we have done at Legal Aid is um, my colleague, Danola Phillips, who's here um, sitting over there, is an attorney with us, and it's her job to connect with all of these wonderful people. Hopefully, all of you know Danola. Yes, good, good. Oh. <laughs> Whew, well done. <laughs> um, to, to help them understand what it is that lawyers can do to remove barriers for families and their children with education. One of the central tenets of Legal Aid is. our goal is to remove barriers to opportunity for people in poverty Mm -hmm. and I think the power of say one of the powers of say Yes, and we've heard so much about the scholarships But the power of say yes is it says the responsibility of education for our children is not just on educators Mm -hmm. it is on the community Mm -hmm. and uh, we know that We need good, strong teachers in the classroom, but we also need to make sure those kids get to the classroom. And get to the classroom in a way where they're not under stress, where they can focus on what's going on in the classroom. And so uh, the reason that legal services is a critical component to the success of Say Yes is that sometimes that barrier to education, the best tool to remove that barrier is a lawyer. And I'll give you an example. If you Only have a- Only a lawyer f- would say that. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm going to have you saying it by the end of this, Dan. And <laughs> because if you're a family faced with eviction, you have a choice right. between getting evicted and having to move your child from school to school right. and having that stress of what's going to happen. That all in, We all know we don't work well when we're under stress, right? So removing that stress of an eviction by defending an eviction helps the child succeed in school. Unfortunately, the reality is that at Legal Aid, we traditionally, historically, do not have enough resources to meet all of those needs. So we have turned away, we turn away more than half of the folks who come to us if they contact us, because we just don't have the resources. We want to help everybody. But because of this community effort, we have made a pledge that we're going to be there for these families. And it's one of those things that my colleagues are probably like, she's jumping off the cliff. What are you doing? But we need to be part of this as a community. So we've made that commitment. The Bar Association is helping us recruit volunteers. But volunteers can't do it all. We need trained professional staff to meet these needs which are complex. Um, But totally solvable if you have the right professional. And that's one of the things I think is so valuable about Say Yes, is all of these professionals. And I know Dale will talk about more.
0: Right. But just to stay with Legal Aid for a Mm -hmm. second, Colleen Cotter, um, the-you have been preparing, your organization's been preparing for this for a few years, (laughs) ramping up with a a now public uh, campaign for Legal Aid. Mm -hmm. So you've expanded the resources already in some in some respects but there's I going to be as we I mean with only 16 schools involved offering referrals to you right now and many more to come in the years ahead there's going to be a greater need what are you seeing is the specific greatest need of the in the referrals that are coming to legal aid right now is it eviction
3: yeah no it's so interesting because so you know with the first quarter of this work uh, we in that first quarter got five referrals a week um, and it has covered the waterfront Um, And it actually, the referrals we have gotten, the type of issues that we've seen are the same type of issues that people call in every day. A quarter of those referrals have been about consumer issues, debt, bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Um, A quarter have been about housing, both evictions and foreclosures. Um, 10 percent has been uh, immigration cases. Mm -hmm. So uh, and about 20 percent has been about income, barriers to employment um, for the most part. So it's really a wide swath, but you can see how each of those impacts the, you know, if you don't have enough money in the household, if you don't have stable housing, if you don't have immigration status, all of those things impact on the ability of that child to get to school, stay in school, and benefit from school.
0: Turning to after school time, after school, out of school time, uh, which is after school and summer, Dale Anglin, Um, can you explain the work of the the task force that you co-chair?
4: So, first, I want to thank the something like 75 people that were coming to the Out of School Time Task Force every few weeks um, for the past few months. It's an amazing crowd of providers, all types of stakeholders from our various government entities, all focused on figuring out how together to boost capacity to meet the needs of schools, of children in the after school space and in the summer space. And so, those uh, services started literally two weeks ago. I think we've got five coordinating providers and about 30 um, individual providers in the different 16 school buildings, um, working out the kinks of kids knowing when to come, a range of types of programming, um, arts, STEM, tutoring, um, quite the range because there's a lot of kids and they have lots of different uh, things that they would like to do and we want to provide that to them, Um, and a lot of coordination Um, with the rec centers, with the city, so that we can take advantage of all the things that, to be frankly, already exist in the city. Mm -hmm. But sometimes kids just can't get there. Transportation barriers, or language barriers, or parents not understanding that that's available to them. Um, A lot of communication issues that we're managing. Mm -hmm. Um, But everybody coming together to think through how to boost the types of high-quality opportunities Mm -hmm. for young people in the after-school and the summer space.
0: Can you talk a little bit about, uh, from a from a research standpoint, why out-of-school time programming is so important?
4: Yeah. So if you ask the crowd here what percentage of a student's time is spent in school, you probably don't know that it's just 20 percent of their time in a 24-hour day. Eighty percent of a child's time is spent outside of school. For years, we left that outside-of-school time up to parents. And all of a sudden, over the last 10 years, a lot of research has been shown that what happens in that out-of-school time space directly affects the academics of a child. Um, And so all of a sudden people are like, oh, we gotta focus on the out of school time space. Um, Some of us have been doing it for a long time. Um, But the bottom line is we're trying to figure out how to combine what happens in the out of school time space with what happens in the in school space so that we can help the child and the family do better. Um, And now there's a a lot of research, everybody can go online and look it up, about why that's so important. And Say Yes, one of the reasons we wanted to bring Say Yes here is because they understood that. That's an integral part of the model is to combine that and they have created a database where we will be able to track kids through both their out of school time work and their in school work um, so that we can see, for example, and this happens a lot, the kid came to the after school program but didn't come to school that day. Now, no one knows that and they don't talk. The point of that database is we can use that and we can talk and we can say, why is the kid like the after school program but do they like school? Well, we might know that. Um, but we need to communicate that and be able to really say, okay, let's use the after school as a carrot, not a stick, um, and well, vice it versa. Could,
0: it could be. I mean, we may know quote know that because like school isn't as much fun as after school right. programming. Right. But it, there may also be some sort of behavioral thing going Absolutely. on, or some some All sorts of issues. other challenge.
4: The point is, it's one family. There's lots of people who know different things about the family. Could we combine that information together? so that we can help that family and the child make it through in a successful way.
0: This is a little bit in the weeds, but practically speaking, does that mean that all of the out-of-school time providers will be on the same database as the school district?
4: It's a thing of beauty. (laughs) If you've been in the out-of-school time space for a long time, you've been kind of on the outside looking in. Um, And so there's a lot of data sharing agreements that have been signed and will continue to be signed. Um, If you're participating um, and you have to share attendance data, you have to share behavior data, only certain people get to see that data, let me be very clear. Not everybody gets to see that data. Um, Only the family support specialists and a few other people. But at least there is somebody able to see all of it for a family to understand where things are missing, where there's gaps, we should be sending a kid here. It turns out the kid is having this issue where they're not involved in anything. We need to get them involved in something.
0: Mm-hmm. I have some other questions about that, but Vic, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, Victor I Young.
2: To, I actually wanted to sub- add to what Dale is talking about. She's referring to this, this massive database. She's talking about is it's a proprietary database that was created by Say Yes National, and it actually does the things that she is referencing right now. It, it currently contains. Um, the, over 4,000 different programs across Cleveland. Uh, There are sort of 800 different organizations and agencies are in this database. But it also, I think equally importantly, does have sort of ongoing records and data about each and every student in the 16 schools right now. Ultimately, it would be for, again, all of the schools that are part of the, the Say Yes universe, which will be all of the schools. Uh, the eligible schools. Um, I, I think what's real important is that is one of the primary tools used by the family support specialists on a daily basis to really identify uh, needs. And the way it works is that that database is really, uh, it's created by uh, surveys that are given to parents, teachers, um, and also, uh, in, it's well, it's parent and teacher surveys. And student surveys, correct, and but, but also there are algorithms that run in that database that actually highlight and identify possible areas that may need to be followed up on, like is there a, might there be a, a behavioral mental health challenge, might there be a, a food insecurity, or so forth and so on. And these flags, as we call them, red flags, are picked up by the family support specialist and they literally get on the phone and follow up. With each and every one of these families, to inquire to see is there something, some way in which we might be of service and connect you to a particular um, uh, sort of area of need. So that's what this this tool is, and we're really again just we're four months into using it, and it is we've, we started off. In fact, because surveys were initially launched before there were family support specialists, when they started their jobs, they inherited over 1,400 of these <laughs> these red flags and have worked through over 800 of them wow. uh, in, in the short time that they've been on the job, um, it, which is an amazing thing.
0: That is. that that Yeah. So that was—leads me to my next question, Victor Young, about the challenges. I know it's only four months in, as you right. said, and, and, and Dale, in and the out-of-school time. Two <laughs> weeks, 14 days, four months <laughs> and 14 days over here. Um, but what are the biggest challenges that you're finding as you're, as you're thinking about what's happening now and how to bring this to scale uh, eventually four years from now?
2: Well, I think the, the you know, what, what's going to happen, I mean, think what's obvious to all of us and particularly to them, family support specialists, is that as they go about doing the work and creating, building these relationships with the families as, and becoming really connectors with these resources, the demand side increases. Mm-hmm. You know, you just you know more people come out of the woodwork saying, "Boy, this is I, I do need this help. I do need the service. I do need these things," and so I think there's, so it, you're there's clear sort of an
0: exponential growth in need. I am, yes. That's and that will be here. Legal aid is like, see, okay. You know, we're, ready. But that, yeah. we're ready.
2: but I think that is why. I mean, the beauty of say yes, I think, is that this is really a kind of a community-wide call to action, you know, and so that's.
0: Dale Anglin, um, the, uh, as the need it, uh, grows exponentially, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the costs are going to grow. Yes. Uh, initially, yeah. it seems, and, and as we said, these are a, lot, a lot of these are support services that already existed, yes. already finding yes. funding. But if, um, if an increasing number of, of families are going to be accessing out-of-school time programming yeah. Yeah. or accessing legal aid support services, we haven't even talked about the mental health support services that have been uh, mentioned earlier, who's paying?
4: Uh, everybody. Um, so the model calls for a collective effort, um, mm-hmm. with everybody paying, everybody in um, the model. All of our governments, county, city, the district, um, all philanthropy is in. Well, We've we got individuals. we should mention that the, the
0: family support specialists are supported by county so funds. So I, I want to, you know, I
4: just want to start by thanking everybody who's in. Yes. And, yeah. and people are in in huge ways. Yes. I mean. Individuals and foundations have given money on the scholarship side. Mm-hmm. Government is paying a huge amount, um, the, 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 uh, the county and the, and the district, for right. the family support specialists, right. uh, using also some federal funding streams, but definitely they've stepped up. The libraries have stepped up already um, with giving space and with giving—actually giving space to the, to the staff um, of Say Yes completely for free. Um, and then everybody else is at the table, to be honest, um, raising money for a lot of the different providers have been raising money as they step up their work. And we will, to be honest, just need to continue to do that, do that over, the, mm-hmm. over the years. But part of Say Yes's model is that we start with what we already have on the government side. The city has great rec centers here. We are working hand in glove with them to make sure that where are they in connection with which schools our, we've already uh, been involved in, can we make sure that families, kids can if they're near a school that's near a rec center, they, the after-school program is at that rec center. They don't have to travel very far because transportation is hard here. But we've not, to be honest, sat down and mapped all that out, mm-hmm. and that's literally what we will be doing over the next year is a lot of mapping of how do families actually move. If you have a kid who's at a school on the west side, but they live on the east side, and they have to go back and pick up their sibling on the east side, they cannot stay at an after-school program on the west side. We've got to open up the buildings on the east side for them to come in. We want them in a quality program, but you've got to find a way to work with them and their siblings. Those are barriers that, to be frank, as a community, we've not faced, we've not focused on. And with this and everybody at the table, we'll be able to focus on it. I want to
0: ask a question that I think Colleen and and Dale and Victor, all three of you could speak to. Um, Eric Gordon, the CEO of the Cleveland Metro School District, is here in the room. And whenever I see him, I'm reminded of something he said at the State of the Schools two years ago regarding the number of homeless families, homeless students. And I think the number was around 3,000 students each year will experience homelessness at some point, many for an amount of time that you define as chronic homelessness. do we know who those students are? Those would be the red flags, I, I assume. But how are we approaching that right now? And I don't know if, who wants to start. It's
2: well, I'll, I'll start, and okay. then they, start. She'll, they'll jump in immediately, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because we are seeing, I mean, we, the, the family support specialists, again, being in the schools, are actually meeting and seeing both these children and families. And so there have been a lot of referrals both to legal aid with respect to homeless, p- homelessness, but also CMHA, uh, sort of Project Act within the school district itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, there's been a lot of networking, but again, I think that the very presence of that capacity in the school is is causing people to to come forward and come out the woodwork that we may not have seen before. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and I would just add to that. I think that if we're successful with Say Yes, we will be able to both address, <coughs> excuse me, That crisis of homelessness and I would say if you have a child who's homeless, that's a crisis, but we also will be focused (laughs) further upstream to prevent that homelessness. Uh, Because getting, uh, you know, getting a child who's homeless rehoused, there's already so much damage there that has been done. So, need to take care of them, but also prevent. And so, I'll just give another um, example of the connectivity and the leveraging what's already Mm -hmm. there. Um, The City of Cleveland passed an ordinance um, late last year establishing a right to counsel for eviction cases for families uh, in poverty. So in July, we will um, start that program. It launches July 1st. And so every family in poverty who's faced with eviction will have a right to a lawyer. And to, yeah, it's really amazing. I think, um, you know, showing why we should be so proud of our city, we're, you know, one of the first few Say Yes cities. We're also the fourth city in the country to establish a right to counsel and eviction. So we are um, on the cutting edge of this. And the more we can make sure that we are connecting these initiatives and leveraging each other, I think the leverage of Right to Counsel and Say Yes is tremendous, um, the better off we'll be, and the more we can face, um, focus on resources upstream in addition to dealing with those downstream crises mm-hmm. um, the better
0: one of the issues that's um, both upstream and downstream sort of in the groundwater if you will Victor young is lead poisoning um, are our family support specialists to sort of set up and health screening and things like that are we are we set up to to meet those uh, to, to meet those needs right now or we're, is that we're something we're building capacity for
2: we're, we're currently not sort of set up to, to address sort of, uh, the, the sort of physical, uh, physical health needs of mm-hmm. the students, what's being we currently are establishing a uh, task force that's actually growing out of the mental health task force mm-hmm. that will focus on all aspects of health, physical mm-hmm. health as well as mental health. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, looking forward, these are the kinds of things that we're trying to figure out how to address as we go as we go forward. Well, the your, overall health
0: needs. And to your point earlier, Dale, I mean that's another one of those issues that our community has not fully faced and is now fully facing thanks to the leadership of many in philanthropy and, and health and human services.
4: And I want to say one other thing about the model that is one of the things I think we liked and wanted to bring into the city is that it through the use of data, um, with with everybody having access to that data, because there's been data, but not everybody saw the data. Um, is, The the model identifies pain points, and so we've got selective task forces that come up. Um, So there's one on family stability because of this eviction issue. There's one on fifth grade learning because it turns out we do well with the third grade reading guarantee, and then the the test scores go back down for fifth grade. Well, some of that we're testing out has to do a lot with fifth grade is not an easy year. If you guys remember your fifth grade year, you probably don't want to go back there. there's a lot going on with fifth graders, um, not just about the academics. Um, so things like that will come up. Mm-hmm. We, we, um, we put together kind of time-limited task forces with a number of different people on the task force, not just CMSD or not just providers, to think through what an answer might be that makes sense for our city. And to be honest, we haven't done that in the way that we're doing it under Say Yes, because you do it, but you do it for a couple of years and then you move on to the next issue. Mm -hmm. We're gonna be sitting at a table together, all of us, for 20 years.
3: (laughs) I hope you like each other. Not moving, doors (laughs) locked. Not moving, doors (laughs)
4: locked (laughs) on behalf of the kids in our city and that's what most cities need. It's not just our city, Mm -hmm. most cities need that Um, because all of us together collectively will be able to solve some of these issues, but we gotta work together.
0: you know, I, I'm not sure that any of the three of you can answer this question, because it's a—it's—and I don't know if the question's answerable, actually, but I'm going to go ahead and put it out there, because I think that um, it's something that people will be wondering. S- Cleveland's not the first say-yes city, Victor Young. Um, we're the third or fourth, I think. Um, the fourth? Fourth. Fourth. Uh, what do we know about future cost savings? Um, If we are-the cost of rehousing a student, Colleen Cotter, you said earlier, is much greater than the cost of keeping that-of providing the legal representation that winds up keeping that student in the house. Um, What do we know about long-term cost savings? If anything, Colleen or or Victor or or Dale, um, yeah, who knows? Anybody yet?
4: Well, there's overall cost savings, remember, um, if-I don't have all the numbers in my head, but if you can get a child to graduate high school and go to college and get a two-year, four-year or quality credential, and they become a regular working citizen. That alone is saving money to society. Right. You can put a lot of numbers to that because they're paying taxes. They're not in the penal system, they're not on foster care, they're not in all those other things that cost a lot more money. So that alone is how some of these promise programs, to be honest, realize their savings in their community Mm -hmm. by just counting that um, or whatever. And we we will get there. Um, We're just not, we're really early on. I
0: was just wondering if Say Yes had done any specific analysis or or if Legal Aid has done some specific analysis on that.
3: Yeah, not in the big picture yet, but I'll give you one uh, data point that I think is pretty powerful. We commissioned a study that Case Western did and one about the downstream costs of evictions. And one of the data points that they found was that um, kids in households that are evicted have an absentee rate of 30%. They miss 30% of their school days, and chronic absenteeism is 10%. So how in the world are these kids ever going to get to the point of those scholarships? Because I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind, we as a community have raised You know, $100 million for scholarships for CMSD kids, but the point of the support services is if kids don't graduate or they don't go through school and have the the skills, the tools that they need to succeed in post-secondary, those scholarships are meaningless. So what is the point? We can feel good about that, and it's a great thing. It's a great thing. But we can't stop there. We have to provide the support services to make it real. Otherwise, it's just on paper.
0: Okay. Let's welcome the audience into the conversation now. I'm Dan Malthrop, Chief Executive of the City Club. Today we're part of participating in a forum on support services for students and families as part of the Say Yes Cleveland Initiative. On our panel are Dale Anglin, Program Director for Youth and Social Services at the Cleveland Foundation and co-chair of the Out of School Time Task Force for Say Yes. Uh, Colleen Cotter is Executive Director for the Legal Aid Society of Greater Cleveland and Victor Young is Director of Student and Family Services for Say Yes Cleveland. We're about to begin the audience Q&A and we welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those of you joining us via our live stream or the radio broadcast on 90.3 WCPN. If you'd like to tweet a question, you can tweet it at the City Club and our team will work it into the program. And uh, holding our microphones today are Communications and Marketing Director, marketing Manager Julia Wong and our Director of Programming, Stephanie Jansky. We have our first question, please. Hi, thank you guys for being here. Say Yes has, has brought the community together to talk more specifically about education and what we're doing for education. And my question is around the support services and
1: how we're defining it. Because we've had wraparound services, we've, you know, we have trauma-informed, all that kind of stuff. And I think with a lot of the organizations that are currently working in the school system, they're like, do we fall under support system, you know, support services? What do we look like? To Colleen, to your point, because some are there helping to get kids to that graduation aspect. But I think it's, I don't know if it's a simple definition, but I'm not sure how we're defining support services.
3: Well, I think it's a great question, and there's actually a task force right now working on that very thing. Um, the families, what I can't, anyway, one of the task forces, in in part, to sort of really prioritize and and um, understand where should we put our energy. Um, I think we start say yes started with the focus on legal aid and mental health and out of school as three important components, but are adding additional pieces to that, but having a good framework I think is really important, otherwise it can just sort of collapse. So I don't know that Say Yes has a specific definition, but I shouldn't have answered because it's really your thing. Well, no. I, I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Go ahead, Victor. Victor Young.
2: Uh, well, I was learning listening to her answer. <laughs> I, <you> know, um, <laughs> no, I, I think that it, I, I'm not sure that I understood the whole of your question, but when we talk about uh, support services and say yes support services we're again we we go back to to the, the needs of children and families and those those impediments to them having a successful to having a successful engagement in school so whatever it seems to get in the way of that as the end goal are the kinds of support services that we want to connect our children and families with. Now, who's in that bucket and who's not in that bucket is going to be driven by need. You know, I don't, it, I, so I don't think you know, it's not sort of a, uh, beyond our starting point. It's sort of not this sort of predetermined, rigid, this is what support service is going to look like. Those are the services necessary, again, to help each and every one of those families successfully navigate schooling through high school. Um, so that's, that's how I define it.
1: Hi. Uh, it's great to hear how the collaboration and the long-term view has really gotten us this far so early on. I wanted to see if you could speak to how students when they're in post-secondary can access the support services. Ooh,
4: good ah, question. Um, so there's a group of people just working on and, and working with, the, with all the different colleges, especially the local colleges. Um, who have stepped up to really think through once the student gets there, we got to get them there, um, what do they need? So College Now is is organizing all of these amazing mentors, the people who are doing that, thank you, thank you, thank you, and we always need more. Um, The different colleges, Tri-C has a, a new program that's being funded by the foundation and some others on supporting just the students who are at Tri-C with extra tutoring and extra mentoring and tracking. CSU actually has hired some extra staff to support the students there who've come through Say Yes and I think we're trying to get that out to as many colleges as we can where the bulk of our students are. Um, In general, higher ed has woken up, I believe, to the fact that many of his students, not just the poor students, to be frank, need lots of additional social services in addition to academic support. The question is, how do colleges do that? Because they're not usually set up to do that. We complain about high school counselors and they're not being enough. You know, the ratio in high school is something like 400 uh, students to one counselor. In most higher ed settings, the ratio is 1,000 to one. Right. And so what do colleges do? Because they weren't set up to do that type of work. Most of the good colleges are figuring out they got to figure out how to do it. Um, and they need to track to make sure they're doing it to make, because it helps them when the students graduate, right? I mean, it, and it, it hurts all of us when the students don't graduate and they graduate with debt. Um, so there's, there's work happening on that side. Um, it's more up to the colleges to do it, but I would say the local colleges are definitely stepping up to the plate.
2: Well, and, and, and to, to your question, um, I think Say Yes requires to take advantage of the scholarship Say Yes requires that each and every one of those graduate scholars who are post secondary have a mentor okay. and is in contact with that mentor throughout the engagement and duration of that, of that scholarship. And that's an active partnership between, with, between Say Yes and College Now that supports that.
0: Okay. I, I'll skip my lawyer joke. I think Dan <laughs> got it. Um, so, stole my thunder. Now, the, um, <laughs> Uh, Victor, welcome, welcome, so it's great that you're here. My question is about uh, on the wraparound services, I know we've built a, a network map and a resource map. The question is, how do we know whether, not just so much were they delivered and referred, but were they effective, did they meet the outcome we hope for related to, you know, the pathway that's um, being followed by our, by our scholar?
3: Well, from the legal aid perspective, we actually just had this conversation at a legal services task force um, last week, I think, um, and we've come up with a reporting system to make sure that, we, that Say Yes has the data about what did we do and what did we achieve for those families. So we're very committed to making sure that we have that, um, that reporting in, in everything that we do, but especially in this program.
4: And I think in the after-school and summer space, one of the things we're going to be looking at, we have not implemented it yet, because now there'll be a, a central database, you'll be able to see over time, to be frank, um, if, you, if five kids were in one program and five kids were in another program, which kids graduated? And was there something about being in that program that helped them graduate? We're going to have to have, which we haven't had in this community, you don't have in many, a quality conversation within the after-school and the summer space, you know? We have to have it. Um, we're going to have it. We haven't had it yet, um, but we will get there. It's not all causal, right? We completely understand that, but there could be some correlation. And, and so we'll, we'll have data yeah. to show that over time.
2: Well, and, and so there's a short-term and long-term answer to your question. I think the long-term is what you just heard, um, because that is being tracked and we'll be able to reflect on. I think the short-term is it's important to point out that the family support specialist, part of their job is following up on what happened. That is built into their job. So it's not just referring or making a referral, but it's also then following up and saying what happened. And we've had uh, principals approach us, I've had principals approach me and say, boy, one of the big differences in my building, is in my school, is that I now know what happened. It's I can nothing. now ask someone what happened after we connected a student with some level of support. So.
0: Can I just a quick follow-up, Dale? What, is, what are the metrics that matter? Or what do you think they might turn out to be, to just to follow up on Steve's question there?
4: Well, one, you want to make sure that attendance matters. Attendance is like a base, right? Uh-huh. If kids aren't seats aren't in, uh, if kids aren't in their seats, either in the after-school or in the, in the, so if there's some kids, literally, who really do want to just go to the afterschool program. <laughs> um, so you want to track attendance, you want to track behavior. Not always grades, you know, it just depends, but you don't want everybody getting an F, but not everybody's gonna get an A, um, and that's okay. Um, But you do want them on track, because the problem is you get to ninth grade and some of those kids aren't on track, and they lost track actually starting in fourth grade. Um, So you gotta keep up. And could the after-school programs, which some of them do, but not all do, could they, if they have data on that a kid is not doing well in reading, even though you're an arts program, could you add some literacy to your program so that they're getting extra literacy in the art program? That's what good programs do. You figure out a way to pile on, to be honest, a little bit, just to help them um, enough, because some kids just need more help, period. All of our, We all have families like that. Some people just need more help.
0: Yes, we do. <laughs> Next
3: question. Hi, my name is Merle Johnson. I'm a member of the Ohio Board of Education, and um, there's something called a Community Action Poverty Simulation, which is being held at Tri-C on January 31st. And um, they describe it as a poverty simulation experience designed to help participants begin to understand what it might be like to live in a typical low-income family trying to survive from month to month. I experienced this a few years ago. And the reason I bring it up is because it's something that I think needs to be a part of professional development for our family support. Um, people and also for people who are teaching in those classes in the schools so I'm asking what kind of professional development is uh, being done with our family support personnel and also with our teachers who are going to be teaching our children
2: well I I can address the family support specialist side of that uh, not necessarily the teacher side but so we build in first of all the we consciously um, hired people who had had several years of experience working in the communities that we serve and working with the populations of people that we serve. That is intentional. Uh, And we hire people who have the academic experience, too. Most of them are are, uh, MSWs um, with clinical training and and so forth. So that is the starting point. Then what we do is we actually meet with every Friday uh, as a staff. And we do ongoing professional learnings, and we bring in people, we bring in speakers to, you know, sort of to to talk topically about the kinds of things that you just raised. It's funny that you raised what you did, because I was recently in a conversation, uh, and we are now working toward developing a series of modules to bring that exact training to our family support specialists.
0: Great. I I don't think that this panel can answer the other question about teacher development. But Eric Gordon's right over there, so you can harangue <laughs> him. I know, I'm sure you did. Next question. Just to follow up on what Le- Colleen said about helping immigrants, what programs are in place uh, specifically aimed at immigrants, uh, particularly those who need help with English as a second language?
4: Actually, you know, I'm not sure. I'm um, in the after school and summer space, but one of the things we're gonna be doing. Um, because we're all sitting at the same table as a landscape analysis to kind of understand right now in terms of the providers that are out there, who do they target? Because what, you know, providers, and I love all providers, but they will say, you know, my kids all did really well, but we still have issues in the schools. And so it might be that some of the kids who need support, the the most support aren't in the right programs. And so how do we map where everybody is um, and get some sense one of the things we'll be asking is, are there programs that target that population, the immigrant, the ESL population? I actually don't know that today. Um, there are some programs that will say they do that, but it might be they only have two or three students, and we need somebody to have 20 students in their program.
0: Um, Vic Young, are, they, are of the 16 first family support specialists, are any in a, in a school that has a, a large immigrant or refugee population? Yes. Uh,
2: yes. yes. <laughs> you, you, you heard it. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So we're learning yeah. we're learning there. We are, then. we are learning a lot. That's that's correct.
0: And I would imagine would it be safe to say that the needs represented there are both the same and different? Yes, it would. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for the question. Our next question?
1: Hi, my name's Kate Volzer. I'm CEO of a company called Wiser, and we provide mentorship software to most of the universities that are in your partnership program for current college students that are trying to get jobs. So some of that's covered. Um, while you have a group, a group of highly motivated individuals in the room, I'm wondering if there are any organizations that um, say yes has not been able to uh, gain access to, or you know, connect. Are there connections we can make to help move this forward faster?
4: Oh, are you volunteering? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it like. Yeah, that sounded great. Stand- make sure we get your card. Um, <laughs>
3: Well, from the legal aid perspective, I would say one of the things that we're looking for, and again, we're working with the Bar (coughs) Association on this, is to encourage attorneys in private practice to volunteer. And one of the challenges is that um, the legal profession is highly specialized, and if you're a corporate attorney, the issues that are faced by a family in poverty in the city of Cleveland are in substantive areas about which you know very little, if anything. And so having, um, so we have wonderful volunteers at Legal Aid but if we, to scale up, uh, we need even more. So getting folks to be willing to step out of their comfort zone and take on issues that are new to them with support from Legal Aid um, is an area of growth. It's not an area we haven't been able to get to because we have 3,000 volunteers but we need more in order to meet this need.
0: Very interesting. And I, I, uh, just go in ahead.
4: general, the SAES model, uh, I hope everybody understands that We're, you're going to hear this. You, you guys will be able to give this speech in another year. Because um, you're going to hear some of these things over and over again. Is there are multiple task forces, they are all open. And so, as needs arise, some already exist, others will come into place. Um, they, we will, through the Diane's office, um, through the website, there will be lots of opportunity. We'll get the word out. Sometimes, when things come up, when we have needs, we don't always know exactly what they are today. Um, but we hope when we put out that call that people will come running to help.
0: Okay. Next question.
3: Um, do we have um, reports from the other three groups that have, say yes groups that have started before us as far as their successes, the reports on how they've been doing?
2: Uh, yes. Yes. They're, they're, they're <laughs> so, the, so the Say Yes National Office Commission. Ongoing evaluations of all of the addition, all of the programs, and we've had access to all of that from the beginning.
4: And so, example in so, Syracuse and Buffalo, the numbers of young people going off to college has risen something like more than 10 percent. Yeah, it, been doing it. Um, there's definitely way more acts, more um, slots after school and summer slots available to those kids than when they started. Say yes. So they measure things like that. Um, some of the schools, uh, they've got graduates actually in Syracuse and Buffalo now of colleges who've gone through Say Yes. Um, so there's, there's actually, the Say Yes National website has some of that data on their website, and you can go on. The, the other good thing about Say Yes, they try to be really transparent. So you'll learn the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> um. mm-hmm. Hi, good afternoon. <laughs> You've spoken a little bit, Dale, about the support services that happen after school and you've mentioned summer and I'm just curious if we could, if you could speak a little bit to summer. We know that the summer months are a huge opportunity to remediate and to accelerate learning and to, suppo- and to expose kids to enrichment that they might not have the opportunity to do during the year and I wonder if you could just speak to that a little bit and what the plans are currently for summer programming. Thank you very much that was planted (laughs) Um, so we have about six a little over 6,000 young people in the 16 schools um, that we've started with this year and so we'll be targeting extra summer programming for kids in those schools Um, we add on schools every year so everybody eventually will get access to additional services and we're looking to place somewhere from a third to half of those kids in additional summer programming now some of them already participate in summer um, and so we want to first figure that out um, and then figure out who needs more. And for us, summer, if you look at the research, it's not just a week in a program in the 12 weeks that you're off. You really technically need to be in a program for five, six, seven weeks, high quality, full day, part day. If you're gonna go visit Grandma in North Carolina, be reading 10 books in that week that you're doing that. Um, So how could we gather that information, which is out there, and help parents and grandparents and caregivers understand how you put the summer together? Because you might not want to spend six weeks or have access to a perfect six-week program all day. Your parent or your caregiver can get you there. But you can do two weeks here. The libraries are stepping up and doing stuff in the summer. Um, and then if you're going to go, you know, visit, visit grandma in North Carolina, you can come back and tell your teacher, but I still read my 10 books, even though I was traveling. And by the way, it should be more than 10 books, so don't just say 10.
0: I love how high your expectations are. <laughs> yeah. Sorry,
4: you got to keep it up. You, you guys know, you're off for a month, you lose time, you lose, you lose knowledge. It's just natural. It happens for young people, too. Um, and so what we're trying to figure out is what already exists, more use of the rec centers. We've, oh, my gosh, Diane meets at the rec center. I think, every two weeks. Um, so that we can figure out, already, the city has already put a lot of dollars into those, those facilities um, and training up staff in those facilities, so we're going to be using a lot more of those. S- sneak peek, one of the themes we would like to emphasize this summer and over the next few summers is swimming. We know that swimming, and p- uh, uh, research shows that swimming is one of the best ways to increase confidence in any child over four. And so that confidence spreads to academics and other things in their life. And we know that swimming in minority communities is very low. And so we need, and we have pools here. We actually have pools and we have lifeguards and we want to use them more. Um, And so that's one of the themes we would like to emphasize as we go about um, this work. There's probably others too. I love the arts, I love STEM, but swimming is one of those overall things you're going to hear a lot about.
0: Swimming, I love it. That's great. Next question. Uh,
2: Wouldn't it make sense to have kids go to school (coughs) all day long so provide supper for the kids, at school after school. I've heard of one charter char school that's done that. They provide lunch and dinner, but they have school re- and good people teaching them after school. Their high school graduation rate went way up. The kids who went to college did very well. Can we learn from that? Because the home environment sometimes is not optimal, and if we keep them in an environment where the talented people are feeding them education, wouldn't that, that makes sense? I and mean, there's a cost factor, but... Any thoughts?
4: There are lots of ways to help young people, that is one of them. Almost a boarding school. <laughs> um, the, the district actually has lots of different types of schools, you know. We have year-round schools. We have all sorts of schools that are meeting at different times. Um, I believe that as we progress and say yes, you're going to start to extend some of the day just with some of the after-school spaces um, or after-school activities that are going to go into some of the schools. Uh, but there is a cost if you go past 6 o'clock um, at a school, in a school building. Even with uh, janitors and everybody needs to have time off. And so I think that's a cost issue that the, the city will have to deal with.
0: But Dale, to be clear, the, the ultimate goal is that every child who, who needs it, has it will have access to out-of-school yes. time yes. programming.
4: Yes. Multiple types. Right. Right. Well,
0: and Including this, swimming.
3: Including swimming. <laughs> <laughs> and this raises, it's not, I'm not I'm totally responsive to that because that's an, in an area that is outside my expertise, but I do think that we should recognize um, the incredible work that Eric Gordon and his team have done. Because when you think about it, Say Yes is this national organization, it is not the school district. And this school district has invited asked worked really hard to get this organization to come into the school district work in partnership with the school staff and the family support specialists are not school employees they're say yes employees and they work hand in glove with the school district at the legal aid society sometimes we raise legal issues with the schools about special education services and other things But they don't see any of this as frightening or threatening. They see it as an opportunity for partnership to raise up their kids. And so I think we can't understate the value and the leadership that that Eric and the school district have provided.
4: Can I I just add that, you know, one of the reasons Say Yes picked us, because remember they could have picked other cities, um, is because of the presence of an Eric Gordon who's been here for so long and and led the district for so long. A county government that said, yes, we will step up and help pay for some of the services that we know is needed. A mayor that said, yes, we're going to go all in even more with the rec centers and with their trauma-informed care that they're doing. And so we had these pieces here that, to be frank, many other regions didn't have. We just need to coordinate them better and work better and, together.
0: And a history of cross-sector collaboration and a of cross-sector- as well.
4: And a city club that can get us all talking about this. <laughs> and with that,
0: we'll end our forum. Um, today we've been, uh, we've been enjoying and participating in forum on student support services and family, and support services for families as part of the Say Yes Cleveland initiative on our panel. We had Dale Anglin, who was the last to speak of the Cleveland Foundation. Next to her, Colleen Cotter of Legal Aid, and Victor Young, Director of Student and Family Services for Say Yes Cleveland. Our forum today is sponsored by PNC Bank. It's also part of our Education Innovation Series, sponsored by the Nordson Corporation Foundation, with additional support from the Char and Chuck Fowler Family Foundation. Our community partners today are College Now Greater Cleveland, where you can uh, sign up to become a mentor and participate in Say Yes That Way, and also Pre for CLE, which is preparing young people to start into, to join Say Yes and eventually go to college later. Lastly, we welcome guests at tables hosted by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, the Cleveland Transformation Alliance, Friends of Paul Clark, the Positive Education Program, and Say Yes Cleveland. Those Say Yes Cleveland tables are populated by the family support specialists who deserve another round of applause. We're so glad to have all of you here. That brings us to the end of our forum. Thank you panelists, thank you members and friends of the City Club, and special thanks to City Club members whose financial support makes all of our work possible. You can find out more about upcoming forums and how you can support the City Club or become a member yourself when you visit us online at cityclub.org. Our forum is now adjourned.
1: For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to
2: cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club Forums on IdeaStream
0: are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, the Cleveland Clinic, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.